Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Sunday is the Lord's Day, and so we rejoice in setting aside the dulls and the dims of the week to worship our wonderful Lord and Savior. Our God was sure smart when He said, you must stop everything one day a week and just go worship God. You just can't work seven days a week or whatever you do. You've got to stop and give God honor and glory. It is a tremendous reset. Well, this morning we come to the end, a blessed end, of the amazing, incredible Sermon on the Mount. For 30-plus weeks, our minds have been dominated by kingdom living, living a different way, living God's way. I will tell you, it has definitely shaped my life, and thank you for all your feedback, and those who have been blessed, people have been transformed and saved, and it's been thrilling. And now I feel led of God to segue to a new series on prayer. All of us know we ought to pray, but even many veterans seem uncertain about prayer. My hope is to not only to inform, but to inspire people to pray. I believe incredible answers to prayer are within reach of anybody. And that's exactly why James said, you have not, because you ask not. That's the name of our series. So, we are looking forward to this series. You know, the Bible characters, the Buddhist of the Bible, they all have any wonderful qualities, but there's one thing they all have in common. Each of them have been able to do that. So that's our thoughts, prayers, Looking forward to spending some time just really going through scriptures on the subject of prayer. I cannot, you cannot even wonder what's going to happen when you do that. Those of you that are joining us online, I know that I'm trying to be feeling well, whatever, but please know we'll be praying for you. All right, let's get into this amazing final passage of Matthew chapter 7. Son of a Today, do not deceive yourself into thinking that just hearing the word of God is sufficient. And somehow, he's as good as doing what God says. Hearing is good, and it really doesn't mean anything unless we do it. Now, here in California, for as long as I can remember, we have been conditioned to fear the big one. You know, that earthquake that is capable of leveling the towns and entire areas. And if you lived here even for a little bit of time, you've probably had that unmistakable rock and roll a little bit, or maybe even that almost fall out of bed a few times over the years. But now, environmental 
scientists believe that actually it's not a tremor that Californians should most worry about, but rather a mega flood. Recently, in a scientific advance, several UCLA climatologists said that a once-in-a-lifetime flood is expected to inundate California every 200 years. And so that means the clock is ticking. According to them, atmospheric rivers, kind of like that bomb cyclone that hit us uh, last uh, October here, they think that it's just a matter of time before we have another mega flood, similar to the one in 1861 and 1862. You may have heard of it, read of it, but in those days, from Christmas Eve for 43 straight days, it rained constantly. They said that the Central Valley was turned into an inland sea. Uh, a third of the livestock were killed, or many lost their lives, and so. That's what they're saying is about ready to happen to California. It's going to happen, they say. Well, we do know floods are real. We do know earthquakes are real. They happen. In fact, there was a really, really big one several thousand years ago called Noah's Flood and an earthquake there. And so, well, at least we know that. Now, whatever you think about the climate capital that's out there, and I know our governor's all amped up about it, he says he doesn't see what all the fuss is about over all the electrical vehicles. He said all you need are long extension cords, and we'll be fine. That's all we need to do. But here's what we do know. Flooding is going to come. Earthquakes are going to come. Flooding is going to come. Troubles, trials, tribulations do come. And so this morning in our final installment, our Sermon on the Mount. We have a story, a simple story. It's a story from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Two people build homes. From the surface, from the outside, they basically looked the same. However, they were radically different in their foundation. And what seems as though just a simple little story or a tale, Jesus was delivering a startling, if not shocking commentary on what the outcome held for many people. Many of the people that were listening to him, he was saying, I don't know if you realize this or not, but some of you, right here, your lives are going to be flooded and your house is going to be gone. Are you ready? What are you building your house on? Like any faithful preacher, Jesus doesn't just throw out facts and figures and say, well, do what you want with it. No. You see, there's a big difference between teaching and preaching. Teaching just throws out the facts and you deal with it. Preaching says, here are the facts. Now make a decision about it. Truth or error. Receive it or not. And that's what Jesus did. You can feel this sermon on not coming to a crescendo. And last Sunday, I think, really was the peak. He looked at them and he said, you don't realize this, but there are going to be some of you that come to that fork in the road. There is a narrow way, leads, a narrow gate that leads to a narrow way, which is life. There's a broad way that most people are taking. He said, that's destruction. And that fork in the road is where we're at. And so he brought the thing to a tremendous invitation. 
And he called for a decision, and now he's following up in these last few verses. And he said, now going forward, now that you've made your decision, what will you base your life on? What will be the foundation of all the things that you do? How will you determine what you do in life? The wind is going to blow. The ground is going to shake. The floods are going to come. What are you going to do? Your head knowledge will confuse you. Emotional reactions will end up burning you. Cultural expectations will sink you. And family traditions will fail you. Because they are all sand. What we need to do is build our future on something solid. Something that is going to be there over time. And that's the message. That's how he finishes. And then we're going to see the amazing response. Kind of crazy, really, when you read it. And so this morning, let's look at this amazing passage together. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this journey. For over half a year, Lord, we have been here in this great passage. Lord, we have drunk deeply from this well. We have sat there and just reveled at your wisdom. Thank you for the journey. Thank you for these faithful people, many of whom, Lord, who have been here every single series. Thank you. Bless them. Be with them, I pray. And Lord, for those who look at this series in the future, we just strengthen them and help them to know that this is eternal truth. Now, Lord, give us your mind on this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. At the time Jesus preached this great sermon, the Jewish nation was very divided. There was a great number of rival sects that were filling the countryside. There were the Zealots. The Zealots were political extremists. They wanted revolution regardless of the Goths. They were secularists. Then there were the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the compromising religious liberals who really had nothing solid for their followers at all, nothing to give them. Then there were fat Pharisees. The Pharisees, all too often, were hypocritical idealists who would crush any kind of freedom, like we sang about a few moments ago, walking and running in the freedom that God has given us. They do not that. And then there were the Essenes, who had something good about them, but they basically were the hippies of the day. They encouraged uh, off-the-grid kind of lives and a monastic existence. They were really the first greenies, I would say. And there they were. And the general climate for nearly all Jews was very oppressive. Roman occupiers increasingly were imposing many rules to the point of when you could walk places and where you could go and couldn't go. You had to have passes for everything. Many people were financially struggling. Heavy taxing was taking place. It frankly wasn't easy to make a living. And a lot of times there, like here, it's a climate lot like ours, and how it would come. And so... These people were struggling. So, as many people do, they were turning to something for a little bit of relief, a little bit of comfort. And so they returned to religious leaders. However, the religious leaders had nothing to offer them. 
And they were being mangled by them because these religious leaders benefited financially and politically from keeping everybody ignorant. And so really what you had was a big bag of oppressed people. And that's why when Jesus stood there on that Galilean mountainside that day, and when he began to speak to them, it was transformational. How did Certainly confrontational. And now, let's go to this last passage, and let's enjoy the beauty of the spoken word together. And so, if you will join me, we will read it together, beginning in verse 24, Matthew chapter 7, and through the end of the chapter, all the way to verse 29. Alright? Ready? Begin. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these things, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Jesus, as his method is, he used so many different types of methods. He used inductive teaching where he asked a question, wanted them to think through a passage. He made bold declarations, he told stories. And that's what this is. It's a parable, it's an example. Two different kinds of builders, each with decidedly different methods and profoundly different outcomes. And so I see five parts to this final section, and let's look at it together. First of all, two builders. We see two builders, the doers and the deniers. Verse 24, some hear and do what they hear. Those are those who build their house upon a rock. Verse 26, there are some that hear and they do them not. Those are the ones who build their house upon a sand. Now, notice at the end of verse 24 and verse 26, it says the same thing. They built their house. They built their house. Everybody builds a house. It doesn't make any difference if you're four or 94. All of us are building a house. If you're young, you're building a house. If you're old, you're building a house. If you are male or female, each are building a house. Whether you're educated or not, employed or not, all of us, every one of us, are building a house. And the house you build today is the one you'll live in tomorrow. Today's decisions are tomorrow's realities. Everybody then both then and today, are busy framing some sort of a spiritual value system. Now, at first glance, you would look at those houses, and they both basically look the same. But 
there was a tremendous difference. As the late editor of the Sword of the Lord, Dr. Curtis Hudson said in one of his famous sermons, things that are different aren't the same. Things that are different aren't the same. Sounds like an interesting little play of words, but the more you think about it, you realize there really is a world of difference in the way people do things. You sense a difference, and it really is a difference. Because those people on the Galilean hillside, some were hearers and doers, others were hearers and deniers. Now, what group was wise? They were building and doing exactly what God wanted to do. The others were foolish builders. But the one thing that was consistent was everybody was in the construction business. Everybody, basically, had a house. And from the surface, they pretty much looked the same. The first group, the doers. He looked at them. He said, now, there's a mixed group out here in this world today that I see. Some of you are curious kind of looky-loos. You're kind of just wondering about what's going on here. And so you showed up here on this mountainside. A few of you are spiritual, at least nominally so. Others are culturally religious, but really you lack power in your life. Others imagine God as being some sort of a loving higher power. Others think that whoever this deity is, he's an angry God, and I have to appease him. But he said, really at the end of the day, use a little overused phrase, at the end of the day, really, there's only two groups. There's only two types of people in this world. And those are the doers and the deniers. Some hear the blessed word of God and do it. Receive it. They're doers. Others, they, and they are the minority, sadly. There are others who just refuse to do anything about it. You have amazing 13th chapter of the book of Matthew. Jesus laid out the plan of the ages in eight amazing parables. In that wonderful chapter, Jesus said, Some look, others see. Some hear sounds, others hear God. Those that really see and those that really hear, the doers, they are blessed. Look at that verse, Matthew 13, verse 16. Blessed are your eyes, and for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Do we have blessed eyes today? Do we have blessed ears? Are we really listening to God? Or is our ears a little bit too close? A sweet older couple was sitting by the fireside. He looked over to her and had a romantic thought. He said to her, after 50 years, I have found you tried and true. The wife's hearing wasn't the best, and so she said, what? He repeated a little louder, after 50 years, I have found you tried and true. Oh, she lovingly replied, after 50 years, I'm tired of you too. Are we listening? Or are we doing? May we never tire of doing the right thing. Then there are the deniers. Look at verse 26. They hear, but they do them not. They hear, but they do them not. 
They were building their house upon a sand. All they were hearing about heaven, they were hearing about the Bible, and they were hearing about God, but to them it was didn't even hardly seem possible. Like some people today hear about God and the Bible, and to them it's really nothing more than like UFO stories or something. Others were simply mere hearers thinking, well, I'm really not that bad of a person. Why do I need God? Why do I need the Bible? I'm not really not a bad person. And frankly, all the religious people I know, like those religious teachers, have some serious ethics issues. In fact, they seem like haters to me than people who would love them. So, from their warped, skin-deep viewpoint, it was they that had the love, the justice, and the mercy, not the false teachers. And so Jesus said, but my friend, you're not seeing things right. You are just looking at things so surface, and then walking away as though there's nothing. James, in the book of James, chapter 1, spoke about these same self-deluded people. In the first chapter of that epistle, amazing epistle, by the way, verse 22, James said, Be a doer of the word, and not a hearer only, or you deceive yourself. Verse 23, if you're a hearer of the word, not a doer, you're like a man beholding his natural face in the glass of mirror. You're looking in the mirror, and then you hold yourself, verse 24, and go away and forget straightway what man of man you are. These deniers were those who thought really they had too many issues, oh, maybe some surface ones, but nothing really bad, nothing really too deep. Still others were not doers because, well, not only a surface look, but frankly they had some real issues. They were covetous. Ezekiel reminded us of these in Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 31. Remember now, Ezekiel was this powerful prophet of the Old Testament. He was trying to get Israel to think through why they were doing what they were doing, why God was judging the nation. And he said to them, And they come to thee as a people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people. I mean, on the surface, everything looks okay. I mean, they're in church, they're at the temple, they're listening to the word before the prophets, and they do hear the words, but they do not do them. They will not do them. They just refuse to do it. Why? Because their religion is only in their mouth. With their mouth, they show much love. But listen to this. Here's the real issue. Their heart goes after covetousness. Why was it then, and also at the time of Christ, and today, why is it that people merely hear but refuse to do? Well, sometimes it just comes down to covetousness. These halfway ahead of people have in their mind that Christianity is way too costly. It's going to cost me my friends. It's going to cost me my coolness, and you know how cool I am. I mean, it's going to cost me my reputation, and I just can't give up that it's way too much. There's an old story told about a man who looks very frugal and really resisted the cost of oats to feed his old mule. And so he decided to substitute sawdust in his diet. 
everything was okay for a while. But by the time the mule was satisfied with solids, he died. And you know, really, that's what I see and see today. When people start feeding themselves with the solids of the world rather than render due the actual word of God, they don't realize that they're becoming satisfied with nothing more than solids, and it's going to eventually kill them. And that's why Jesus said, don't be just a hearer, be a doer. Do builders, doers, and deniers. First, second of all, two houses, heaven and the world. What's your goal? Live in heaven forever, or live on this earth forever? Verse 24, wise man builds house upon the rock. Verse 26, foolish man builds house upon the sand. All of us are building houses. No matter who we are, we're all building a house. What is your hope? I want to live with God forever in heaven, or frankly, is your real hope that somehow you'll just be able to have this wonderful life here until forever and whenever? Jesus is so foolish to think that all we have to look forward to is here and now. Now let me just clarify that word foolish a little bit so we can get the full impact of it. The word foolish there is the word moros, M-O-R-O-S, moros. As you might imagine, it is actually the same root for our English word moron. He said, now, don't be a moron. And we're not talking about some of the mental impediment, but rather someone who is willingly stupid, someone who is dull hairy, they just refuse. A moron, basically, is what Jesus said. And so if I can complete that statement there without being too offensive, the fact of the matter is, Jesus said, you are a moron if all you think about is here and now. If you don't think about the eternal value, the eternal life, he said you're nothing but a moron. People who spend all their life just getting all excited about Oprah Winfrey, little uh, fuzzy and warm feelings, or they base their future on the fact that they have bright light. They have near-death experience, and this bright light just somehow just warms them. My friend, Jesus said, you are a moron. If you think that that's somehow going to be with you in the end, or some dull ramblings of an Ivy League academic somewhere who says, this is what eternity is like, and, you know, Earth came here, you know, this year, folks. How much better to have a solid plan? Jesus said, don't be a fool. Great Apostle Peter, power of Peter. I love to call him. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1 had a much better plan. He said, Wherefore, the rather, rather than just base your future on all these crazy ideas, brethren, give diligence to make your own calling and election sure. Just a note here about election. Some are confused. Obviously, it says you can make your own election sure. That means our beliefs and our faith has a part in our eternity destiny. 
Then what it says, if you do these things, you shall never fall. Your house will not fall if you do this different way of thinking. Nobody with any sense would spend all that time and effort on the house only to watch it fall. He said, there's something much more sure than that. Look down to verse 19 of that same chapter. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. I love that verse. My dad actually shared that verse with me 50 whatever years ago when I was a young teenager. Some uh, charismatic people had kind of got inside my ear and they were talking about all these prophecies and all these things. And he said, Son, you don't need that. Here's what Peter said We have a more sure word. What do you have? He goes on to talk about we have the word of God. In the last part of that verse, it said, Until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Until Jesus, the day star, by the way, he's the day star. Until Jesus comes back, we have a sure word of prophecy. What is it? It is a written word of God. You go on to finish that chapter. The word of God given the holy men of God. They were moved by the Holy Spirit. But few people have thoughts about God. For many, there's a further thing from their mind. They have the idea that they're going to be here forever. Their life is all about this earth. Jesus said, what a moron to think that you're going to live here on this earth forever. You're going to face God. Eternity is real. Trust God. Put your life on the blessed word of God. I've told you this table before, and share with you again. A rich man, very distressed that he couldn't take any of his riches to heaven. And so he pled with God, please, God, make an exception in my case. Finally, God said, okay. Whatever you can fit into a garbage bag, you can take it to heaven. That man was so excited, and immediately he bought all his gold. And so after he died, he came to the gates of heaven, a black garbage bag filled with gold all in tow. The angels questioned him about the bag, and he said, Look, I'm telling you, God allowed it. And so they asked if they could see what was so special and what was inside of the bag. The man opened the bag and proudly showed them his contents. The angels looked at each other in bewilderment, and then one of them asked the man, Why did you bring payment into heaven? Yes, friend, gold may be a hot commodity here, but I'll tell you, in heaven you walk on it. It's nothing more than streets are made out of gold in heaven. How silly to put all our effort into this life. Jesus said that would be a foolish person. Two builders, two houses, down to three, two foundations. It's either the word of God or the word of man. Verse 24. Whosoever heareth this sayings of mine. Now what is the rock in this passage? Many people have said many things and they have indicated many thoughts. You could say that the rock is God, and in fact, in one sense, it is. Building your life on God, building your life on Father God is certainly true. David proclaimed in Psalm 
Psalm 18, verse number 2. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my rock. And I think it would be appropriate to say that in this passage, God is the rock. People really can also be a rock for us. Maybe, sir, you've had a tough day at work. You come home and your wife has soft, calm, excuse me, has soft uh, and calm praise music playing. The dinner sounds so good and she greets you with a pleasant word and a tender kiss. And it seems as though when you greet her, the all the way of the world evaporates. The next day, you realize what a blessing she's been in your life. And so in your private morning time with God, you thank the Lord for giving you such a beautiful way. And then you write her note, as you should. Thank you, wife, for always being here for me. Even when I have a crazy day, I know you're there. Thank you, dear wife, for being a rock for me. I love you so much. That kind of relationship is true. A wife can be a rock. A husband can be a rock. A friend can be a rock. Our parents can be a rock. A loved one can be a rock. A church. People can be a rock. God can be a rock. I certainly think it would be appropriate to say that Christ is the rock. Old Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 6 says, Behold, I lay in Zion, meaning really all of the heaven, the heavenlies, a cornerstone, a chief cornerstone, elect of God and precious. Now that is none other than Jesus Christ. Christ is the cornerstone of the universe and the cornerstone of every life. As Pastor Luke quoted a few moments ago, everything is of him and through him and to him. And so, God might be the rock of the Bible. People can be our rock, and Christ certainly can be our rock. But I think in this verse, we are made clear exactly what the rock is. Notice what it says. Whosoever heareth these sayings, whosoever heareth the word of God and does them, Build his house upon the rock. What is then the rock? I believe specifically, it is the scripture. It is obedience to the blessed word of God. Scripture is to be the bedrock of every life. We read it, we meditate upon it, we believe it, we pray it, we obey it. That's what should be the center of every life. Jesus trumpeted that same thought in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. He said, I say to thee, he's talking to Peter, thou art Peter, the Greek word kathros, meaning stone, pebble, and upon this rock, different Greek word, petra, upon this big rock, upon this foundation, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What is the big rock of the church? Is it Peter? No, he was just a kathros, he was just a little stone. The bedrock of the church is nothing more or nothing less than the Word of God. The blessed scripture. Unless you build your life on biblical truth, you're deceiving yourself. You say, well, I'm really into nature. Well, all well and good, but not sinking sand. Well, I'm really into what 
you know, so and so says, that's sinking sand. Unless you build your business on scriptural proof, it's sinking. Unless you build your marriage on scriptural proof, it will sink. We must build our lives on scriptural things. Jesus, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, you may remember, said, I declare unto you that I came to fulfill the law. Not one word of this will ever pass away, not even a little jot or a tittle. Jesus said, Face your life on the Word of God. A wise man builds his life on the Bible, a wise woman on the Word of God. A biblical attitude about what's right and wrong, not what the community standards are set. Today, big tech, Twitter, Meta, others say you can't do anything against community standards. Google just said, for example, they've adjusted their algorithm. They said that this week, past week, that from this day forward, anybody that types in abortion help will no longer be able to hear anything about pro-life pregnancy centers. Because that's against community standards. You mark it down, friends, for the day coming in America when Bible preaching churches like this one will be off of the airwaves. And if you want unfiltered truth, it will have to be in person. Because they rule of airwaves and it will not be allowed because it's against community standards. Well, I don't know what we're going to do for our elderly and those that are sick. I think we're going to get a whole bunch of drones or something and send them out with DVDs and drop them into their houses. I love that parallel passage in Luke chapter 6, verse 47, to verse 48. This is a parallel passage to the Son of the Mount, and I like this little extra phrase that Jesus gave here. By the way, everything that Jesus said on that mountainside probably wasn't included in Scripture. We were even told in the book of John that if everything that Jesus did and said were to be written, the world could be contained in book. I believe that even what was said was a summary. Jesus said way more. Why would they no longer turn? But look at this verse. Luke chapter 6 and verse 48. And the man who built the house dig deep. He dug deep. Beneath the sand of human opinion. He dug deep beneath the deception that pours out from the White House and from the public schoolhouse. He dug deeper than that. He dug deeper than self-will. He dug deeper than what's out there on the airways. He dug deeper. A wise man has to dig deep. You can't just take the surface up. You've got to dig deep. That's why all the junk in this world, you know, it bothers you. Say, well, what's this world coming to, brother, sister? I know what it's coming to. But I thank God I've got Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I go, hey, I dug deep. I dug into the Word. And when you dig into the Word, you're a wise person. Wise men and women dig deep. People who aren't wise, they don't dig deep. They don't care. Their life is nothing more than surface. 
They build their lives on that which is the latest win church. And I'm still thinking that the best thing we can do is like those blessed little children song, the B-I-B-L-E. I base my life on the B-I-B-L-E. My hope is built on nothing less. Then Jesus Christ, my righteousness, I dare not trust the sweetest rain, but hold it in on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And when darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. And every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His hope, his covenant, his love support me in the loving flood. All around my soul gives way. He ends all my hope and stay. And when he will come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found. In him, my righteousness alone, all those that stand before the throne. My friend, you got to dig deep. you got to dig in the word of God. That's what I base my life on, the B-I-B-L-A. Two builders, two houses, two foundations, now two outcomes. And it's our choice. It's not just a win or whatever. It's really a love to us. Two outcomes, comfort or misery. Verse 26. Everyone that hears these sayings of mine does not like the foolish man. Look at verse 27. And the rain descended. The floods are coming. They say they're coming to California. I, I don't know. They very well could be. They certainly come with that. Now, I'm not a big fan of all this crazy climate change stuff. I will tell you, I do know floods come. It is coming. The floods came. And they do. The winds blow. And they do. They beat upon that house. They beat upon that house. And great was the fall of it. There's a day coming. There is a flood coming. How cool is that? Not be ready for it. And whether you and I are chaff or grain, Someday, whether you and I are weeds or wheat, we'll find out. When the drops of God's mercy someday become floods of righteous judgment, sweeping away sin, notice what it says, they beat upon that house. The floods beat upon that house. You've got to love it. Every belief system will be beat up. And every belief system that's not based on the B-I-B-O-E is going to fall. And great is the fall. It is no Every day, pundits on the media, academia, everywhere, all they have their house. Here's my house. My house is wonderful. We have the house. We love our house. Well, that's all well and good. We're going to find out how good that house is. Because the storm is coming. The storm of God's righteous judgment is coming. And any belief system not found on the Word of God is going to sink like the Titanic. Paul said, Here's what you need. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse number 10, you need Jesus. Even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come, and the wrath is coming. If your faith is genuine, if it is biblical, it's based on Jesus. He's the only one that can deliver from the coming storm. But I thought you could help me. Dr. whatever, Dr. Bill, Dr. 
It is delivered in a way that is actually the greatest ever. In the back of the old and the New Testament, that Jesus was always filled with the power of the Spirit. He never had a downtime at all. In fact, in Psalm 42 or 45, speaking about Jesus, looking forward to his life, it said, in his lips, grace was born. Alright, so then, what happens on that day? The greatest sermon, greatest preacher, filled with the Spirit, grace is in his lips, People probably hear the sermon and a hundred percent of them run to the altar. Nope. Strange. The strangest thing ever. People sat there and just looked at it. For the most part. It says they were astonished at this doctrine. Astonished. The word simply means awe. They were in awe. <clears throat> His message was intense. His delivery was passionate. And yet, their response was wonder, but no worship. Have you ever been in a church service where maybe you felt like, how could anybody not accept God? How could anybody not put Jesus into their life? Right. How is it possible to go through a service like that and not receive that? That's kind of how I felt. A few months ago, we had a great Easter dramatic production. We had this all music and all the dramatic presentation and the, the clear presentation of the gospel. In my mind, I'm thinking, if you walk out of that service a lost person, my friend, you are a foolish person. You are a person building on sand. How could it be anything else? They were astonished, first of all. They, they, they blew away. Because someone like the scribes and Pharisees. Now, the scribes and Pharisees had all their beautiful robes and incense pots, you know, and they were just, they had all their rigmarole, and they said all their big words, and they had all their little traditions, and, but their preaching was flat and flower and fluff, and no life and no force, just nothing. It says they were astonished. They were awestruck. We might say to the minds. The minds were blown. Wow! And then they blew it off. Minds were blown, and then they blew it off. Like someone's in a service and wow, it's great, and walked out. Forgets what better men are. Now, friend, let me take this one step further. Paul described exactly the situation that Paul is in. Human author of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29, of how much slower punishment. Suppose you. Shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden under foot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant? Where when he was sanctified as an unholy thing, and had done the spite to the spirit of grace. God said, What kind of punishment do you think I'm gonna give to a person who knowingly takes the blood of my son and puts it under his foot? 
his grace and his grace. What do you think is going to happen to that person? And the spirit of my grace, all that person's life, I kept them alive. I gave them food. I gave them water. I gave them everything. I healed And then, the thanks I get is for them to take the blood of my own son and just walk. And that's what rejecting the gospel is. Oh, the foolish thing. What a foolish, foolish thing, Jesus said. Astonished? I'm glad. Let's do something more than just give signs. Get just into this and make Jesus your Lord and Savior and make the Word of God as the foundation of your house. I close with this interesting and I think uh, appropriate true story, Pastor Ryan Chappelle said it happened in his hometown. Two brothers were playing on the sandbanks by the river. One ran after another of a large mound of sand. Unfortunately, the sand was not solid, and the weight caused them both to sink quickly. When the boys did not return home from dinner, the family and the neighbors organized a search. They found the younger brother unconscious, with his head and shoulders sticking out above the sand. When they cleared the sand to his waist, he awakened, and the searchers said, Where is your brother? The child replied, I am standing on his shoulders. My friend, today, if your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you are standing on the shoulders of your brother who died for you. He is, in fact, that rock that will weather the storm. It's because of him and him alone that we can have eternal life. And so I'm going to ask our worship team to come. And here's how we're going to close. We're going to have a word of prayer. And then I'm going to invite each of you to determine. As the future days come, what will you build your house upon? Blessed word of God, Christ, I trust you will. That's the solid rock. Then this morning, if you're here, you're not sure about your eternal life, let me say again, the greatest thing in all the world is to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. With our head bowed and our eyes. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.